Thank you for joining us today on The Sword and the Trial. Today, we welcome Joey Tomlinson into the conversation to discuss his recent book on serious joy, which is his reflection on the 70 resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. And uh, it's a great book. It's very useful to uh, help you with your own growth in grace and to encourage others to do that as well. Uh, we want to thank our Founders Alliance members, especially for their support of this ministry that allows us to produce this podcast and make it available to you. Welcome to The Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Delighted to have you join us today as we welcome into this conversation Joey Tomlinson, who is a pastor from Newport News, Virginia. And Joey has written uh, a recently released Founders Press book called Serious Joy, Reflections and Devotions on Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions. And uh, if you have been around the conservative evangelical, specifically reformed world very long, you probably have heard of Jonathan Edwards. And if you've heard much about Jonathan Edwards, you've probably heard about his 70 resolutions that he began to develop as a teenager and uh, put down on paper as guides for his own life. And Joey is taking these and has put them into a book form with meditations on them and helped us to uh, think more uh, helpfully about them in our own personal lives. So, Joey, welcome to the Sword and Trial, brother. We're glad to have hey. you on. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's great to be with you. Yeah, we appreciate your uh, work on this book, and we're delighted that it's beginning to see a, a pretty good distribution. We want more people to read it and more people to become familiar with Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Edwards, I think, was the greatest uh, mind that the America has ever produced, and certainly yeah. I would argue that is the greatest theologian, one of the greatest theologians that we have produced. And man, uh, he he did so many things well, but one of the things that he emphasized, and which is so helpful for me, and I think helpful for us in our day, is dealing with the internal realities of life in the Spirit, what mm. it means to be a child of God. And these resolutions that he wrote uh, kind of set the agenda or set something of a framework for how he carried out his own life. So, Joy, tell us, man, how did you get introduced to Jonathan Edwards? Yeah, so I, I, I began to read Jonathan Edwards in college. Um, and so, you know, as you were saying, he, he's one of the greatest minds that America perhaps has ever, you know, has come out of America. And uh, in the breadth of his knowledge, uh, and I even say this in the book, he was a Renaissance man of mm. sorts. Like mm -hmm. it seemed like he had quite a mastery over a, a, a vast array of, of subjects. And so, you know, I was exposed to philosophical writings and not just theological, mm -hmm. you know, writings. And um, so I, I've read Edwards for a while, um, but I've never considered, and I've, I, I've noticed as I've read Edwards, there has been a little attention that's been given to his resolutions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I came across his resolution. I've known about his resolutions for many years, but um, I, I thought um, it would be a good exercise just for myself 
to uh, to just slowly work through uh, his resolutions, to jot down some thoughts as I, I worked through those resolutions, and to try to discern some of the biblical underpinnings uh, of why this 19-year-old uh, would take such great pains at seeking to bring his life in different areas of his life in subjection to Christ. So, so I've known about Edwards for a while, but my, you know, my journey into his resolutions was more of, there wasn't a lot out there and I wanted to think through it a little bit more. Um, but it, I, I don't, I, every now and then I, I come across someone who has not heard of Edwards, but that's typically few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got introduced to him, he said in college to read him. So did you in have college, professors yeah. that actually encouraged you to read Edwards? Uh, well, so I, I, I did not come from I, the college that I went to was by no means sympathetic to uh, Edwards reform theology. Um, but uh, I don't remember being handed Edwards and being cautioned about him in particular. Mm. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of handles as it went, as it related to reading him. Um, but uh, I, I was handed a lot of books in the college yeah. that I graduated from that didn't quite align theologically with the college itself. So yeah. okay. you know, that would, that would have been part for the course. And you went to Liberty university in yeah. Virginia. So grandma, were you encouraged to read Edwards uh, in your college? I certainly was. Um, I went to Reformation Bible College, and the president of the school did his dissertation on Jonathan Edwards and his yeah. apologetics method, uh, Stephen Nichols. And so we had a lot of a lot of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, read quite a bit of Jonathan Edwards. Had pictures of Jonathan Edwards on the wall. The whole thing. <laughs> yeah, well, very pro Jonathan Edwards. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, yeah. I I want the record to show I was not encouraged to read Jonathan Edwards in college. In oh. fact, the only thing I heard about Jonathan Edwards was ridiculing his sinners in the hands of an angry God mm-hmm. uh, by wow. a history professor who did not have a clue about uh, true biblical Christianity. But that, I went to Texas A&M, so well, hey, get a little break on that. That was my first yeah. exposure to Edwards, was reading Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God when I was first becoming Reformed, before I went to college, and I just thought, man, I need to read this sermon to my church. Yeah. <laughs> well, when yeah. I was in seminary, uh, every spring during the spring break, students would go out to regions where there wasn't a lot of churches or small churches would exist primarily, and preach a week long of meetings for them. You know, I forget what it was called back then, but uh, there was a guy that was in seminary with me who had heard Jonathan Edwards' sermon by Tom Nettles in class because Tom would come in in a robe, you know, and he would just read the sermon and was so impressed by that that they took this sermon, these two guys, and in this small church, I forget where it was, somewhere in the Midwest, read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and two elderly people, this husband and wife, you know, in their late 70s, early 80s, were converted mm. uh, through oh, that. Wow. Yeah, it's just an incredible, incredible kind of story. So uh, the, the resolutions of Edwards. Now, am I right in remembering that he said that he, w- he resolved to read these or go over them weekly over the course of his life? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, he had a, a habit of, with some of them, it would be and it at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year. Mm. Um, he did not, there's no evidence to indicate that he sustained that for his whole life. Yeah. Um, but certainly, um, that was the case for, uh, you know, a, a, at least a year or two he did, you know, he did that. Uh, and you can see as he did that ways in which, you know, one of the things I do with the book is 
I, I try to, where I can, harmonize uh, elements of his diary um, that are dated around the time that he would pin a particular resolution. And, mm. and you can see in the book times where he would wrestle with despair at his inability to keep particular resolutions. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so you know, there, there's both a, a model that we have in Edwards for again, seeking to bring our moral character in subjection to Christ according to his word. And there's also a cautionary tale that we have in Edwards for, you know, we, we see our own tendencies in that we at times can, um, we despair of our sinfulness when we lose sight of the cross and when we lose sight of, of the gospel. And so we have that as a, uh, we, we see that in Edwards. We see that struggle in Edwards as well. Here at Founders, we celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we delight in God's goodness and kindness to us, and we love to take opportunity to remember the good, kind things that He's done for us. We also want to take advantage of these holidays to provide you with a special sale on all of our Founders' uh, materials. So you can buy our books, you can buy our shirts, and other things that we have available in the Founders store online, and you can get a 20% discount by using the code HOLIDAY20, HOLIDAY, all caps, 20, the number 20, and that'll get you 20% off of everything that Founders sells until the 9th of December this year. So you don't have 70 chapters in this book. I mean, you've, That's right. you've kind of grouped them together under uh, some similar headings. And uh, I'm looking at uh, one that Graham and I talked about earlier. Graham quoted one of Edward's resolutions in a recent sermon. Graham, I'd be interested in, in uh, you just sharing a little bit about how you applied that or mm. what you were thinking about that. But it's resolution number 17. And one of the, the values, Joey, of this book is you have taken Edward's language and updated it so that it's a little bit easier to understand to modern ears. Let me read it to you in Edward's language and then give you Joey's modern rendition of it. This is resolution 17. Edwards writes, resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. So he's thinking, okay, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to wish I had lived a certain way, so I'm going to live that way now. And this is the way, Joey, you put it in modern language. Resolved that I will live the way I wish I would have lived on my deathbed. So, Graham, you cited this in a sermon. What was the point? Well, I wish I had known about your modernized version because it's far less cumbersome. Um, And I even read Resolution 17 to the congregation and had to kind of explain it a little bit. Um, But, yeah, I've been preaching through the book of Daniel, and it was in Daniel 1 when Daniel, as likely as a young teenager, uh, comes into Nebuchadnezzar's court, and it says that he resolved not to defile himself with the king's meat. Mm. And so I drew the parallel between uh, Daniel and Jonathan Edwards as young men making these resolutions and sticking to these resolutions. And I brought out Resolution 17 in particular because I think what motivated both young men is they had a view towards their end. Yeah. You know, Daniel is there in the court of the, of the king, and he's not just thinking about the here and now, but he's thinking about his, his own end, and he's thinking about eternity. And so he's not going to defile himself with what, the, with what the king puts before him. And so also Jonathan Edwards is thinking about his end. He's not just thinking about the here and now. Yeah, that's good. So, Joey, what, uh, what impact have these resolutions had on you just in your own relationship to Christ? 
Yeah. I, so, I mean, one of the things that it's reiterated for me is that there's nothing off limits to the Lordship of Christ. Mm. And so I, I'm struck by how uh, earthy some of these resolutions are, you know? Mm. And, and so I, I think a lot of times we, um, when we think about our Christian walk, um, we in some ways can think of it up in the ether. And, uh, and Edwards was not content with some form of theoretical Christianity, which I think is just so pervasive in our society. It's nothing, it's nothing new. He, he wanted um, the word of God um, by the power of the spirit of God um, to have an impact on the here and now. Mm. And so, and, and at 19 years of age, which is wildly convicting to me mm. for, to see a teenager that concerned about, um, you know, applied theology. And so, so for me, it was a, uh, first and foremost, just a reiteration that, um, you know, the gospel of God should seep into all the nooks and crannies of our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, that there, there's, you know, nothing uh, that it shouldn't touch, you know. So so for me, that that was one of the things. The, the other thing is just um, uh, how it's the gospel that drives our sanctification, and, uh, and that when we lose sight of the gospel driving our sanctification, we do end up despairing. And, uh, and so you see Edward's intentionality, even in the preamble, um, that his uh, uh, just acknowledgement that it's by the grace of God that he would be able to make the resolutions and keep the resolutions uh, and then you see, even though he has that in the preamble, his need to go back and revisit that, you know, just the forgetfulness of man, this side of eternity mm-hmm. to remember that if we're saved by God through Christ, um, that that is the foundation that we stand on this secure foundation. And it's the salvation that we work from, you know, we're working out the salvation that Christ alone has acquired, but we're forgetful of that. And so we can fall into um, uh, thinking that we must uh, improve our right standing before God or that our keeping of a resolution makes us in a, uh, puts us in a better position with God as it relates to our salvation than if we're not. And so you see that wrestle, as I was mentioning earlier with Edwards there. And, and I know that that's been a wrestle in my own life, mm. just, um, I'm, uh, you know, I, I think, and I tell the congregation uh, that I pastor up here in Virginia this pretty often. When you read the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, that um, in, toward the end, you know, toward the end of his life, that he was the chief of sinners, that he, he was the worst sinner, and that in a lot of ways, God saved him to demonstrate to other sinners that there's no sinner beyond the the the, the you know the the possibility of being saved, but. I think about Paul's statement that he's the worst sinner. And he was able to tell Timothy that without despair. Like there's this mark of spiritual maturity to think of yourself as the worst sinner and not despair because your perspective on Christ, the finished work of Christ and his bodily and eternal resurrection, uh, you're looking at your sin through that lens. And, uh, and that's the battle this side of eternity is we we either maximize our sin and minimize the cross, you know, or we minimize our sin and we uh, we pretend it's no big deal and we abuse the grace of God. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. I, 
you know, thinking about the title, Serious Joy, and it just encapsulates Edward's um, approach to theology and spirituality, that theology is far from mere theory. And it seems like the the more serious you become about the things of God and the Word of God and the more you um, desire to delve into theology, the danger is always lurking that this can become so intellectually satisfying to you that you are willing to let it stop at intellectual satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And Edwards just refuses to let us do that. I I remember reading uh, a pretty prominent Presbyterian theologian in the 20th century who uh, said, said every time I read Edwards, when I'm finished, I feel like I've got to go take a shower. He's so icky sweet, you know, (laughs) and uh, and I thought, well, okay, that's what you're articulating is what I don't want. Right after he read sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's right. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, I, even writing the, the book and I, you know, I've, I've had people tell me this, that, um, there's this accusation that Edwards was some sort of legalist or, you know, that, that his version of Christianity is, is, um, that there is no joy Mm. as if he's just this kind of stoic stuffy takes himself too seriously sort of man. And I, I'm like, then you haven't read him enough. Keep reading. reading. (laughs) Haven't read heaven as a world of love yet. Yes, absolutely. There's a difference between us taking ourselves too seriously versus taking God seriously. You know, Edwards took God seriously. Yeah. I think the sinners in the hands of angry God, you can always tell the people who haven't read it or haven't read it rightly when they talk about it and they say, this is just horrible. You know, he makes God out to be a monster. No, no, mm-hmm. it's the the hand of God that's keeping it's you keeping out of hell. You. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the focus. According to his mere pleasure. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Edwards has been misunderstood, and and man, what a great gift he is to the church and to be rediscovered. And um, I, I'm I've just been helped by him, and and grateful that I was introduced to him early on in my uh, ministry or ministerial training. One of the stories that I remember about Edwards that I love to tell was uh, from John Gerstner. You know, Gerstner was probably the leading evangelical scholar on Edwards, and <clears throat> he was in the Yale archives one time with uh, Perry Miller and several other uh, non-evangelical, non-Christian Edwards scholars, and they were they were researching different uh, things that had not seen the light of day that hadn't been published from Edwards' works. It was before the Yale series of his works came out. And uh, he said as the day went on, these other guys started drinking more and more, and they became increasingly tipsy. And so they started reading sections of Edwards out loud. You know, I said, listen to this. You know, they'd read something. They'd all just laugh. Can you believe that? I said, man, all these preachers today, they say everybody's going to heaven. It's easy to go to heaven. I said, if Edwards was alive, he'd say nobody's going to heaven. It's impossible to go to heaven. And they all <laughs> laughed. And Gerstner said he waited until there was a pause. And Gerstner had this kind of gravelly voice, and I, I respect him. I'm not trying to make fun of him, but this is the way I remember it. He uh, said that when it was real quiet, he says, what if he's right? <laughs> they all just kind of stopped, looked at each other, didn't say a word, packed up their briefcases, and just started walking out of the archives. And so uh, he was walking with Miller. And uh, after they'd gone quite a ways, uh, said Perry Miller looked at him and says, you know, Jack, says back there when you said that, said you, you made me feel about this big. And he held his finger to his thumb, almost touching one another. And Gerstner looked at him and says, 
that's too big. That's too big. The truth is a hard thing to confront. Yeah, but I mean, it's exactly what you were saying earlier, man. Yeah, we are we're sinful, and with Paul, we can say, "I'm the chief of sinners," Mm -hmm. but I'm not despondent by that because we have the greatest Savior in the world, and there really is more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. Absolutely. I want to invite you to join us January 18th through 20th, 2024, here in Southwest Florida for the National Founders Conference. We're addressing the theme of remembering Jesus Christ. And so Phil Johnson, Conrad Mbewey, Travis Allen, Joel Beakey, and Costi Hinn will come and preach for us. I'll join with them as well as we look at this most vitally important subject. You can find more information and register for this at founders.org. How has this, uh, the resolutions, but just Edward's own approach to theology and spirituality, how has it helped you as a pastor to shepherd the souls of men and women? Yeah, well, I, one of the things that's striking to me about Edward's pastoral ministry is it it's evident as you read his sermons and even as you read other books that have been published about him that kind of pull, pull in some of his, his sermons and his writings, he knew his congregation uh, well. Uh, you know, there, there's one instance that comes to my mind is, um, <clears throat> you know, when he, when he was pastoring uh, his, you know, uh, father-in-law's church when he took over after uh, Reverend Stoddard had, had passed away. Uh, so I don't know what year into ministry he was at the time, but you know his, his preaching was being colored by some of the promiscuity that he knew as it related to a group of teenagers in the, the congregation. And, um, and we, you know, we all know about his, um, uh, the confrontations that he had with uh, with people in the church as it related to the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. and you know the, their uh, where they were spiritually and his concern about where they were spiritually and so I, you know when I when I read Edwards I read a pastor who knew his people well he wasn't a talking head in the pulpit he was um, you know, as, as another pastor I've heard put it, he smelled like the sheep mm, you know? mm. and, uh, and, and that really colored his preaching ministry. Not, not in such a way that he's, um, he's like outing people, but he knew the, the particular struggles, um, sins and sufferings of his congregation. And that helped to inform his preaching. Uh, I, I did a, um, uh, uh, a demon at Southern Seminary under Stuart Scott, if you guys are familiar mm-hmm. with, with Stuart Scott, and, uh, and it was in biblical counseling. And one of the things Dr. Scott um, would repeat to us as students is that you should be counseling. Uh, uh, you should have someone in your church that you're meeting with that's more mature, and then you should always have some sort of difficult case, a counseling case that's in front of you. And then when you come into the pulpit, you can know that maybe the majority of your people are somewhere in the middle, and that can help you to be a better preacher of God's Word. Mm. And uh, and I've found that to be true. But mm. when I read someone like Edwards, um, I find that the the him knowing his congregation uh, helped him to minister to them best. It mm. impacted his preaching ministry, and I'm sure it impacted the 
the private ministry of the word is counseling ministry as well. Uh, so for me, that's it's a good template. It's a good reminder of what a pastor should be, um, and and even the courage that Edwards exhibited um, mm. as it related to the particular convictions he had about shepherding the congregation that led to a determination of his pa- you know his pastorate. He he was a man of conviction and a man of courage. He was committed to. Um, being someone who told the truth despite what it cost him. And, uh, and that's admirable. And we need more of that in, you know, pastors today. You know, it's, it, and that goes against the caricature uh, of Edwards just staying alone in his study and coming out just to preach uh, yeah. as if he didn't know his people. I remember one of the stories, I think it's, it's in uh, the narrative of surprising conversions, I believe. And it's about Phoebe Bartlett, who was converted when she was four years old. And she tells about listening to Mr. Edwards and her parents, you know, discuss theological matters. And, and she just loved being around her pastor. And mm-hmm. the, the editor uh, in the reprint edition that Banner of Truth did, those two big volumes, the yeah. editor puts a footnote in there and he says, I, I've known uh, Phoebe Bartlett for these 50 years and she continues to walk faithfully with Christ to this day. So it's impressive in terms of childhood conversion, but also just her own love and affection for her pastor as a four-year-old. She remembered him and she thought of him and she listened to him even in casual conversations. So yeah, Edwards has a lot to teach us uh, about uh, not just theology, but about ministry as well. Yeah. Well, what else, uh, what, what particular um, resolution or resolutions would you commend to somebody? You know, there's 70 things that he wrote. Uh, any one or two or any specific theme that you'd say, okay, if you're not familiar with Edwards' resolutions, here's where I would encourage you to dive in. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the very first resolution you know, it, it's resolution one for a reason. And, uh, and I, I, you know, in the book, I talk about how in, in some ways it's, it's, it's not necessarily another preamble, but it does uh, create a sort of umbrella for the rest of the resolutions. Mm. And so, you know, in, uh, you know, I can read the, the modernized version here and I pair resolution one with resolution two, because I think Edwards was, you know, that's, that was the intent behind those two, but resolve that I will, uh, I will do whatever I think will bring God the most glory, which is to my own good profit pleasure for as long as I live. I will do these things no matter how long it takes me to do them. Resolve that I will do whatever I think I must do that will provide the most good for mankind in general. Resolve to do this no matter the difficulties or the severity of those difficulties. And, you know, we certainly can look at mm-hmm. Edward's life and know that, um, uh, that was a concern of his for the, the entirety of his life. But the, the idea that the glory of God is um, intertwined with our good, I, I, I love that perspective mm-hmm. uh, that Edwards has. And you see that theme through the resolutions. You see that theme through his writing. But, um, but reading the words of a 19-year-old who's concerned about the glory of God and at the same time sees that the pursuit of the glory of God is at the same time the pursuit mm. of his own good uh, is something that I, I just think we need to hear regular, you know, regularly. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. And I, I love that thought too. And I try to, to help our people. I try to remind myself of this too, that man, God's glory and, and our welfare, they are, they are intertwined. They're welded together. And yet very often in life, you're faced with challenges or choices where it looks like, well, I know this will glorify God, but I really think this will be better for me or, you know, this will be greater good, but I know this will glorify God. I know what he says is right and wrong and, and good and bad. And whenever you're thinking like that, Mm -hmm. you can just wind up in a real dilemma unless you you start training yourself to to think, wait a minute, I'm not seeing this rightly. If I think God's glory is opposed to my welfare, there's something wrong in my perception. And I need to get back behind that and say, why am I thinking wrongly about this? God has shown me in Christ that um, his greatest glory is bound up in my greatest welfare. And whenever it looks like that's not the case, the problem is I'm not thinking rightly. Just because God is our welfare and finding ourselves in God, as it goes back to Augustine's prayer, you know, you have created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Uh, and yeah. so to, to be united to God is, is our welfare. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we see God glorified and we see his goodness and his beauty uh, displayed in the things that he's made um, mm-hmm. and in, in the actions that we take, well, what we're doing is we are drawing nearer to the one who made us for himself. Yeah. yeah. Getting that, believing that, remembering that, that, that clears the field quite a yeah. bit whenever you're faced with choices. Uh, if I can remember that, man, what, what is most glorifying to God is going to be my greatest good, then where God is revealed, his will, God has made clear, yeah, this, not that. Live this way. Trust me this way. Dispose of your life in this way. If I can be committed to that knowing that that's going to be my greatest good. It just solves a lot of the issues that I otherwise struggle with when, you know, you can be tempted to say, well, yeah, I know that as a Christian I should do this, but I'm just human. You know, I'm human too, and I've, mm-hmm. I've got my human needs as well. No, 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 you're thinking wrongly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, boy, Edwards helps us with that tremendously. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Joey, you have done the church a wonderful service in writing this book and uh, introducing folks not only to Edwards and his resolutions, but to this way of thinking about the Christian life and how to live well so that the truth that God has revealed doesn't stay theoretical with us, but rather it penetrates into our affections, works itself out into our wills. And uh, we're, we're grateful for the time and energy that you put into it. Hey, it's my pleasure, and and uh, Tom, I mean, I, I appreciate your early encouragement with the project and just the, the willingness of, of founders to, to bring it to publication, so thank you guys. Yeah, well, it's our uh, serious joy to have uh, <laughs> worked with you in this book, and we uh, want to commend it to you. You can get this at founders.org. Just go to the bookstore. You'll find this available on sale there. And, uh, man, cannot commend it highly enough. And get a copy. Get a copy for your pastor. Get a copy for a friend and use this. You could read this together uh, in a small group of folks, just taking a few, resolu- few resolutions at a time and just working through them. Well, thank you for joining us today on The Sword and the Trial. Uh, We're always delighted to have you join in on these conversations. And if we can serve you in any way uh, through Founders Ministries, please give us the opportunity to do so. Just reach out to us. It'll be our uh, joy to try to help you in any way that we can. Why are we here? 
what is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.